0: Our goal is to get you to know each other. Honestly, the thought behind what we do is really based around the idea that they're, you know, I, I can't tell you going through the process of talking to everybody who joined this church and wanted to be part of what we were doing and wanted to lead and, and even start this thing, how many conversations I had with, with people where they basically said, look, I, I just would love for to go to a place where people know who I am. You know, they know my face. They know who I am. And when I show up there, I'm familiar to them and I have some friends and uh, you know, there's a lot of churches out there. They're just, they're awesome. I wouldn't say a bad thing about any of them. They're doing great work for God. But a lot of us, when we show up there, we slide in the back row and we slide out. And I don't think God intended for us to do that. I think he intended for us to have, you know, connections with people and to be known. And also to find a place to serve, put our hand on the plow, be part of what God is doing. And again, in a, in a, in a massive place, sometimes you get lost and you don't find a place where you can serve If you do find a place where you can serve in that environment, you're lucky. You found it. You somehow cracked the code. But here, we want to kind of make sure that that is like what we do and who we are. So we want to make sure that you're known, and we want to also make sure that you have a place to put your hand on the plow and be part of what we're doing and to serve. And that's really what guided us when we started this church. And so if you're, you know, checking us out for the first time, we would love for you to stick around and give us a couple weeks as you can see, it's very imperfect. We're still working on a lot of things. Our transitions aren't very smooth. We don't have fancy lights. There's not a lot of things about what we're doing, but we hope that this is really real, and this is something that you really enjoy and you want to be a part of. So give us a couple weeks. Stick with us through Christmas. Uh, In the January time frame, we're going to start some small groups, some men's ministry, some women's ministry. We'll get you connected in groups of people so you will really know some people. And for now, we're just going to make you uncomfortable and make you talk to people that you don't necessarily know, okay? I'm sorry. That's what we're going to do. So let me, let me pray and then we'll get started with our, our, uh, our uh, sermon this morning. God, we, um, once again, we are just thankful that you, you were here before us. You, were, you are everywhere, Sometimes we don't always um, know that you're there. We don't always pay attention to the idea that your spirit goes ahead of us. And so even before anyone showed up in this building this morning, God, you were here and you were preparing this place. You were in, uh, you were with us preparing our hearts. And I pray God that your word, as we get into this and we take apart this, this passage, God, that you would just teach us something that you would show us what it means uh, to live this, this thing out. And, uh, God, I pray that there would be kind of an aha moment for people, especially people who have been uh, living kind of in that religious vein, that they would see that there's so much more uh, when they understand fully the grace and relationship that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have been talking about uh, the last couple of weeks, the first week we talked about needing to know Jesus personally, that the idea that we are going to do this on our own and with our own merits is not a great idea. Essentially, if we compare ourselves to other people, we can sometimes feel good about who we are, and that Minnesotans are just better than most people in the country, right? So you're already in the top, you know, like 5% of all people that live in the United States So if you compare yourself to other people, you can start feeling good about yourself. You can say, you know what, compared to my my neighbor who doesn't take care of anything and is like kind of a deadbeat, I'm doing okay. Or compared to the person in my family who's kind of a hot mess and everything in their life is falling apart and we're all kind of coming around them to support them, I'm feeling pretty good about who I am. Or compared to that guy I work with, you know, like I'm definitely better than him. And how religion essentially puts us in a place where we start to compare ourselves to everyone around us and sometimes we feel like, okay, I'm good enough that now God will let me let me in, right? He'll, he'll be there at the end. He'll look at me and he'll be like, you know what? You are in the top 10% of all people. you were a kind person. You are a great family member. You took care of the people around you. You did really good things for people. You gave away your money to charity. And so you have enough good stuff in your life to get into heaven. And how Jesus destroyed that paradigm. That is not a thing. In fact, Jesus says all of us need to throw ourselves on his mercy and that we cannot in our own deeds do enough to please God and to meet his standard. Okay, so that's what we talked about the first week and how religion sometimes makes us feel like we're doing a good enough job. Okay, but, but then in the end, it's something that lets us down every time, that Jesus is the only way to know God and how that is a hard thing for some of us to unravel because we grew up in a system. We grew up as a, as a Lutheran, as a Catholic, as a Baptist, as a Pentecostal, and we did the religious thing, and now we're looking for something more, and Jesus is offering that to us, okay? Well, um, last week we talked about this idea that your thoughts, your intentions, your motivations, your heart are very important, that Jesus took the bar of behavior to a whole other level. He said just To close the door on this idea that you can do good enough, he gave us statements like, if you hate people, it's like murder. If you uh, lust after someone, it's as though you are an adulterer. In other words, you can't do enough. And he takes this bar to a whole new level. And he gave us these two ideas that were really how we should live. Okay, so the first one was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind makes total sense. That seems like a thing that we ought to do if God is the one who created us, and if he wants to be involved in our lives, that we should be basically giving him everything. But when Jesus entered the scene, right, that's what people were doing. They were following the 600 rules that they had laid out, and their entire life was about pleasing God on the outside, okay? But there was something missing on the inside. So Jesus came to those people, and he said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You are like a really ornate casket. You are like a, a really beautiful sarcophagus, right? On the inside, you are dead because all you're doing is trying to live up to these 600 rules. And on the outside, you could be perfect, but on the inside, your motivations, your heart, the, the things that motivate you, the things that get you to do these things are what's rotting you from the inside, and you're not paying attention to the people around you. And so even to his own disciples before he went to the cross, he said, a new command I give you, That you would love one another the way that I have loved you. Which we know, at the time, the disciples didn't really understand what that meant. But then Jesus went to the cross and showed them that no one has greater love than a man who would lay down his life for those around him, for his friends. He called them his friends and told them that they should do the same thing for other people. And we get caught up in this idea that we're supposed to either fix everyone's theology, what they believe about God, or win every argument, right? Or wrestle somebody to the ground until they agree with, with what we think. That, the, that we're supposed to get their behavior to come in line with what it means to be a Christian. And that's backwards. That's not what Jesus said at all. He said, lay yourself down For the people around you. This is what true love is. It's not to win the argument. It's not to fix their theology. It's not to change their behavior. It's to show them who I am and let me do the work. Okay? And so we're called to love people who are in our world. Right? Around us. We don't have to win the battle. We don't have to try to change their behavior. Right? I think a long time ago in church. This is what it felt like when I was growing up. I don't know what your experience is. But my experience was, you know, you show up in a church You accept Jesus, right? So maybe somebody comes to your door and you invite them in and they they build a case as to why you should follow Jesus. Now, I know you think that sounds ridiculous, but in the 90s, I I did this thing where I would go door to door in our town and I would share Jesus with people. I know that sounds totally crazy. I was one of those teenagers that we just, we learned how to share the gospel and we would knock on doors. And I remember the first question we would ask, "This, this would work so great today. I just feel like if someone came to your house, this would work so great. We would ask, if you were to die tonight, are you sure where you would go? Now, if someone knocks on your door and they say, hey, buddy, you, if you die tonight, do you know what's going what's gonna to happen? Like, no, that person, first of all, don't knock on my door. <laughs> Secondly, that's not what you want to lead with, right? That's not the right question. And so it felt like when I was kind of growing up, it was like, accept Jesus, act like us, right? Get, get our behavior down. Do the things that we do, and then we'll accept you fully into the church. That's what it felt like. I want you to know that's not us. That's not what we do. All right? we, we just come as you are. We accept you fully from the moment you walk in the door. You bring your baggage with you. Whatever it is you carried in here today, you're welcome to be here with that baggage. And I want you to know we fully accept you from the moment you step into the, to the door. Our goal is not to change your behavior. Our goal is to share Jesus with you. Our goal is for you to experience the gospel. Our goal is for you to come alongside and join us and experience God for yourself. And then you know what happens? God starts to move in your heart and starts to change you. The behavior is generally the thing that trails along behind. So it's come be part of what we're doing. Accept Jesus and his gospel, his good news for you. And then get yourself together. I think a lot of us think I got to get myself together before I show up at a church. Nope, that's backwards. You're welcome to be here. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. Eventually, this is going to click. Eventually, you're going to say, I need that. And then we can talk about what it means to live as a Christian. So these these things are backwards. Jesus came to show uh, the disciples how to do that. And he asked them before he left to show the same love that he had shown for them, for others. He said, do what I'm doing for you right now for the people that are around you. Love these people. Lay yourself down for them. You don't need to win the argument. You don't need to change the way they think. You just need to share who I am and my message with them and let me do the work. Okay? No matter where you are, Jesus is the one that can change you. I cannot change you. There's no one in this room who can change you. But Jesus is the one who can change you. That's the message that we want to make sure is front and center at our church. And so... I know this, this is kind of puts us sometimes in an uneasy spot. And we start to think, well, how am I actually supposed to live this Christian life? Like, I, okay, great. I accepted Jesus. And now how do I start to actually do the things that Christ has called me to do? Some of these things seem really hard. Some of these things conflict with the decisions that I've already made about myself and the decisions that I already want, the way I'm living my lifestyle. I'm feeling the conflict here. And we ask the question, how? How? We say, well, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to love the guy at work who I actually really want to punch in the face, right? Like, how am I supposed to find that gear? How am I supposed to lay myself down for that person in my family who just takes and takes and takes and takes, right? How am I supposed to love the person in my life, right, who has hurt me? What does that look like? Or an enemy, how do I do that? It feels like that is a really hard thing and let's not even start to talk about the idea of, If I'm going to actually align my life with what the Bible says, with what Jesus has laid out as a way to live, man, that that sounds like a daunting thing. And you hear this from people. They say, Christianity is just a bunch of rules, right? It's just a bunch of rules. It essentially is a bunch of stuff that I don't think I can do. If I really even applied myself, I'm not even sure I could do it. Okay? That's the question we ask. How? And I, I want to kind of just change your idea of what that, uh, where to start, and not ask the question how, but ask the question why, okay? Because if you are intrinsically motivated, that's when stuff starts to happen in your life, okay? Somebody can tell you forever until they are blue in the face that you should, 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 you ought, you ought, and when that happens, generally we don't do what they say. We don't want to, right? You can should or ought someone all day long, and that's not going to motivate them. But when you have motivation that comes from within, a lot of times that's where you start to see the breakthrough. Now, I'm told if you start working out, <laughs> intrinsic motivation is the way to go. I'm still waiting on that intrinsic motivation for for working out. I'm 38 now. I should probably get after that. Um, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Okay. Uh, but the intrinsic motivation is what gets us to where we want to be. And so the question you want to ask is why. Not how, why. You'll get to how. The question is, is why. And I want to share something with you today that if, if you wrapped your head around this, like if you got this idea and you really started to really feel this and, and really think this and really make this part of your, the way that you think, it could change a whole lot of things in your life. Okay? Because it's a different way of coming at the idea of how do I live this Christian lifestyle. You're asking the question, why should I live this Christian lifestyle. Why should I love the people around us? Why should I change my life in ways that please Jesus? Okay? Religion and grace idea. We've kind of touched on it, touched on it last week, touched on it the first week. And there's a lot of people and and I'll say it, probably a lot of our experience growing up in something where we mixed some grace and we mixed some religion. Okay? We we took an idea that was a piece of religion. It was a do and don't and a list of things. And it was, you know, the, and then we mixed it with this idea of grace. Now, some of you, again, are rule followers. And you like having 10 rules that keep you in good standing with God. Like, at the end of the day, you're actually one of those people who are like, okay, didn't do this, didn't do this, didn't do this. Looks like I'm okay with God, right? And, and I got this question a lot when I worked with students, right? They would ask the question, well, how far is too far? Am I, can I... Can I sleep with my girlfriend? No. Okay. Can I do this with my girlfriend? No. Can I do this with my girlfriend? They would want, tell me where the line is. Tell me how to, I want to know the rules. Give me the rules. Give me the laws. Give me the things that I can follow. And I want you to know that question leads you down this religion path. Okay. Uh, If we look at the why, we start to ask a completely different question and we start to think completely different. Okay. When we start to think about what Jesus has called us to, to love one another, we start to say, is that okay? Well, let me apply Jesus's uh, ethic to it. If I'm supposed to lay down my life for the people around me, then is what I'm doing in this situation the best thing for them and is the best thing for me? Sin in our lives hurts God's creation, us, and his dearly loved children, us and the people around us. So when we start to apply God's God's ethic to things, we start to ask a different question. So, the why is really the important thing. So, I want to share with you a passage from Ephesians today. It's Ephesians chapter 4. And this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians, trying to help them figure out what it looks like to live this thing out. And they had tons of questions Can we do this? Can we do that? Should we do this? Should we do that? They were actually struggling with how Jewish do I need to be to be a Christian? Okay, completely different conversation we're having today. But their question that they were struggling with, this is also a theme in Galatians. It's a theme in Ephesians. It's all throughout Paul's writing because there was a struggle. You basically took a Jewish group of people and then brought Christ and grace into the mix. And then they started mixing religion and grace together. And they got this weird thing that wasn't exactly what Christ had intended. And so the thing that had marked somebody before Jesus was circumcision. Okay? So basically, it was, a, it was a, a, a mark that somebody would have that showed that they were a God follower. It was something done completely in private, right? You wouldn't know that somebody was circumcised, okay? I mean, like, I hope not, right? It was completely male, all men, who, who carried the mark. And it was something that, you know, did nothing for you on the inside. It was, a, it was something that was done to you by your family before you could make the decision on your own to follow God. And Jesus comes in and he says, "Now we're going to change the the way this works, and we're going to now circumcise the heart." Like, okay, it's not really a thing. They didn't actually open people up and cut a piece of their heart out, right? But he said, "I want you to do this new ethic. I want you to actually show people what it looks like to follow me." And now it's men and women, and now this is on the outside. People are going to see it, but it's, it's being led from an inward focus, an inward reality that's going on with you. And so as he was trying to unravel what it meant to be a Jewish Christian for these people, he was trying to get them to say, Jesus has a new way of doing things, and we have to push some of the old things out and allow people to come in who are different than us, right? These people who weren't Jewish and weren't religious, invite them in, and now we've got to figure out how to live and do this thing in this weird community, Okay? I know it's so different than today. We have this weird community of people coming with all kinds of different backgrounds. And we're inviting everybody in and trying to figure out what it looks like to be unified and to have a church that is together. Look around. That's what we're doing right now. Okay. So here's what he says. Chapter 4, verse 17. So this is Paul. He says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And Gentile is just a fancy word for a non-Jewish person, a non-religious person, somebody who just... They just didn't have any upbringing in anything. If anything, they might have been uh, pagan, meaning they were like following some other God. Okay, so he says, I am telling you, and I insist on this, that you must no longer live that way in in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of... Of greed, And I don't know about you, but if you really looked into your own heart, I think you might find this is true about you before you know Jesus. It may not look this extreme, right? But if you look into your own heart, you might find selfishness and lust. And and you might pine after things that are not good for you. And you might do things that are not great for you. You might not be serving other people. This is the problem that we have. We're all built this way. We're all basically serving ourselves until we find something greater to serve in our life. And so Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. That's just going to lead you down a road that's not going to be fulfilling. It's not going to be the kind of life you want. It's not going to be the, what you think it is. It's actually going to be really bad for you and really bad for the people around you. Okay, so verse 20. He says, "...that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus." You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. To put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so he says, that other thing, that's not you. Put that thing away. There's a whole new thing available to you in Christ Jesus. Now, If that seems like a foreign concept, it might be because you have not put on the new self yet. It's possible that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, hasn't quite penetrated you all the way to your heart and allowed you to change from the inside out. Paul gives us this picture of literally taking off one thing and putting on a completely other thing and becoming something brand new. It's like a new identity that Jesus gives us as a Christian. Someone who follows Christ. Now I know sometimes we get that mixed up, right? We have identities, right? You you could step back and and like at my most basic level, I'm a man. I'm a I'm a dad. You know, I have a job. Um, There's a lot of things in my life that I could base my identity around. Okay, but but Paul's saying, put on the new self, and now you are a Christian man. You are a Christian dad. You are a Christian worker. Whatever whatever you're doing, wherever you are, you put on Christ and you use that identity as your primary identity. Anything else that it becomes your primary identity and conflicts with Christ is something that needs to be put away. If there's a word that goes before Christian, I'm a blank Christian, that blank needs to go. Put on this thing and now nothing that we were wearing makes any sense, right? If I put on a big, long fur coat, now, all of a sudden, my work boots don't look like they fit, my, my outfit, as I stand there in the mirror and look at myself. None of you laugh because you don't think that's funny, me standing there in a big fur coat. <laughs> right? Sometimes we put this identity on, and all of a sudden, now everything changes, and we see things differently. And now we want to we change everything about our life to go with this identity that we have, we have accepted. And, and Paul says, this is the main thing. Don't miss this. If you haven't accepted Jesus, nothing else that we're going to talk about today works. This is the core thing. You have to accept Jesus first. You have to feel that connection with him. You have to start that relationship with him. And then you need to let him start working from the inside so you are intrinsically motivated to begin to change your life to where he wants you to change it. I I can't give you a set of rules that's going to make everything make sense. It doesn't work. You have to accept Jesus first. Okay, so we put on the new self. Then verse 25. He says... Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Okay, so here's where we start to get to the section where it's like, this feels like, uh-oh, imperfect church for imperfect people. It's my computer, by the way, so it's all broken because of me, probably. Um, this is where we start to get the rules, okay? And this is where you start to think, oh, these, there's so many rules. I can't possibly do this. I can't follow all these rules, right? So here's, here's the list he starts to give. Therefore, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but he must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful building up others, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every... Form of malice. This is like this, this like list. Don't do all this stuff. Don't do all this stuff. Don't do all this. Do this stuff. Do this stuff. There's do's and don'ts that are in this list. In fact, every single one of Paul's writings, there's a do and don't list. You can go find them in almost every book that he gives us. Don't do this. Do this. You're like, so what, did, what do you mean? I thought you said there, were, there weren't rules. Okay? And I think this is where we start to struggle. We say, okay, how can I do this? How do I put aside unwholesome talk and slander and, and malice? I don't even know what malice is, but it's terrible, right? It's just Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling. Some of you guys are like, I would never brawl with anyone. But there's an anger in you that's there. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't lie to each other. Don't steal from each other. And he basically lays this out in the community of these new Christians saying, these are things that break the community. Right? When we lie to each other, it breaks the community. When we steal from each other, it breaks the community. When we speak unwholesomely, it breaks the community. Instead, we ought to use our words to encourage each other and build each other up. Instead, we ought to work And bring something to the community of people that we're around. Instead of stealing, we should give to this community. Right. He gives us this list, not as a list of do's and don'ts, but as a way for us to preserve unity in a very diverse church. I hope that this church continues to be incredibly diverse. I hope that we find in this church people of different ethnicities, of different ages, of different worldviews even. I want to invite everybody into this place and when they come here, I want them to feel what Paul is talking about here, that there's a unity among the diversity that we have because we're all Rallying around the same thing. And here's the aha. Look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Just as in Christ God forgave you. The question is not how. The question is why. And the why is right here in plain sight. Paul lays it out. Jesus forgave you before you deserved it. Jesus laid himself down for you before you earned it. There was nothing that you did that got Jesus to do that for you. He looked at you and said, this is my creation. You are fully accepted and I love you. And I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you my faith expressing itself through love by laying myself down for you. This is the thing that the world needs to see on display. This is the thing that makes the difference in our lives. It's the why. You're saying, how do I do this? Understand the why and you can find a way. He goes on. Verse 1. Of Chapter 5, follow God's example. In other words, look at what Jesus did and do that for other people. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Like, that's a thing. I want that. Right? Walk in the way of love. The first Christians were called followers of the way. The way of what? The way of love. And love we think of as this romantic feeling that we have for someone else. You would get tingly when we, you know, text them and see if they're going to, because no one calls anymore. You probably don't show up. You text first. We get tingly, you know, like, oh, yeah. and if you could be, like, I've been married for 15 years. I still get tingly, man. Like it's, yeah, thanks. Yeah, tell my wife I said that later, okay? Can we get that on tape? Uh, love is not a, a feeling. It's, it's an action. Paul, Paul said our, our faith should express itself through love in Galatians. Our faith should express itself through love. It should, we should act on it. That it you, know, you read the chapter about love. It has nothing to do with a feeling. It's all action. It's you laying yourself down for other people. It's you serving other people. It's you giving to other people. It's you making yourself a little Christ in their life. Showing them what Jesus did for you by doing the same thing for them. That's the thing that unravels the sin that we're entangled in. And that's the thing that brings us to this connection with, with God. And we've been called to it. Look, I mean, look at it again. Follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children, you are a dearly loved child of God and walk in the way of love. Do act this thing out. Lay yourself down. Go for it. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, tying it back to the idea that Jesus laid himself down for us. That's what it looks like. That's the why. The why. Why do I serve? Why do I love? Why do I do the things that God's called me to do? Because Jesus showed me what it looks like and did it for me. Imagine if we grabbed hold of that concept. Like, We've been in existence for three weeks. We've had a connection to 300 people, a couple local ministries. But imagine if we mobilized an entire church of people who actually lived this thing out. Like, What would change? Our workplaces would be different. Our families would be different. Our community would be different. Mounds View would look way different if we were able to do this. And we want to be one of those churches that's missed by the community. This is how we get missed. If we didn't exist, we want the community to miss our presence. That's how active we want to be in showing them what it looks like to love the way Jesus loved. The, uh, I want to tell you that somebody did this for me this weekend. Uh, it's weird because I feel like, you know, I'm supposed to show you what it looks like and be the one who leads as a leader in this church. But I was uh, on, on Good Friday at the Mall of America. Yep, I am a psycho. Uh, It was packed, and I'm an extrovert, love that kind of thing. Some of you guys are like, oh, that would be the worst thing ever. You want to escape to the woods and sit in a cabin. I want you to know that that as uncomfortable as you feel going to the Mall of America on uh, Black Friday, uh, I feel that way about going to the woods to a cabin by myself. (laughs) Like, I don't want to be alone for that long. Like, okay, like, I I don't really want that. And I know how you feel that that's the same thing. So I'm at the Mall of America on, on Black Friday, and we're just kind of walking around trying to avoid the masses of people, and I'm, I'm in a store, actually looking at this shirt right here that i purchased for 30% off, um, and I had my Pursue Community, shirt, uh, Pursue Community Church shirt on, which says on the front of it, always in pursuit of Jesus and the people he loves. That's our, that's our, our uh, mission statement here. And so this guy walks by, and he goes, Jesus is Lord, bro. <laughs> he's charismatic. It's fine. <laughs> Some, you should know I'm a, I grew up in that, so I'm not making fun of you. Okay, okay. anyway, so I'm getting myself in trouble. Um, so he says, Jesus is Lord, bro. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, tell me about your shirt. And I was like, there's this incredible community of people in Moundsview that have just launched a church, and I get to be the pastor of it, right? And he's like, Dude, that's amazing. I love church plants. And then, before I know it, there are two couples who are together just standing there praying over me in the middle of a department store loudly. (laughs) I'm like, what is happening right now? This is the kind of stuff that I usually do. This is amazing. I just want you to know, like, when you live this way, every moment of your life becomes another opportunity to encourage someone, to love them, to lay yourself down for them. You find yourself doing crazy things because you're being guided by the Holy Spirit into that way of life. The question is not how. The how will figure itself out, it's the why. Why should you do this? Why do we do this? Because Christ Himself laid himself down and showed us what it looks like. Because God served us through Christ the way that we ought to be serving the world through Christ as well. And that's what I want to invite you into. So here's the thing. I want you to pull out your your sheet that you got. Okay, If you're taking notes, one of those note people, if you're like me, you don't even know that you had a sheet. You probably didn't take one on your way in. And I want you to answer the why for yourself. Why live for Jesus? Why share his love? Why lay yourself down for other people? Okay? I want you to put down on your sheet your why. In your own words. Because I feel like this is something I I could tell you. But when you grab hold of this for yourself, it's going to make all the difference in your life. We're going to go ahead and finish with a song. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. But while we sing, go ahead and write down your why. And then, what I would love for you to do is to craft a very eloquent social media post <laughs> and share with the world why it is that you follow Jesus. Okay? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we are thankful, we are grateful. That you loved us. Before we earned it. Before we did anything to deserve it. Jesus. You overwhelmed us with grace. Help us not to mix it with religion. But to be overwhelmed by what you did. And to live from a place of gratitude. That allows us to be exceptionally different than the world around us. Jesus would you use us even in spite of ourselves sometimes. Sometimes. Would you help us to grab hold of the why, of the fact that you loved us so much that you called us to show that same love to the rest of the world? In Jesus' name, amen.